day that Mark Rick comes for our invitation. That'd be good. Don't y'all think that's good? You want to vote on that? Let's vote on something tonight. All in favor? Good job. Thank you. Uh, you don't realize what goes on to try to get a service for prepared for you. Uh, we have to have backups for preachers. I don't have a backup tonight, so that's your problem. If I fall out up here, you get out early. Nobody ever complained about getting out early. But on Christmas Eve week last, last year, I, I had laryngitis for eight days. Delane was living in bliss. And uh, on Friday, I had a little voice back, so I called Richard. Richard was going to preach Christmas Eve. I said, Richard, don't worry about Christmas Eve. I got it. And I came and preached Christmas Eve, and Richard got in touch with me. And Christmas Eve morning, he had the stomach virus. So he was the substitute for me, and I substituted for the substitute. And that's what God had for us. Two Sundays ago, I had to prepare a message in case Jerry Vines got sick. And wouldn't you have been disappointed not to hear Jerry Vines? I would have been disappointed, but I had to be ready to preach Sunday morning. And then I was looking today, and I told Ellen, I said, Ellen, I said, I don't preach again on Sunday morning until March the 10th. Bring me that sermon. I said, because this Sunday Richard's preaching, and if Richard gets sick, I got to preach the sermon this Sunday that I've got prepared for March the 10th. Are y'all with me so far? But here's the real big disappointment. Suppose Mark Rick gets sick and he don't show up that Sunday morning. The first thing you're going to see at 9.05 is a huge exodus from the early service and the traffic cops. And uh, at the 10.30 service, when people come in and Mark Rick's not here, there's going to be another traffic jam going up Pleasant Valley Road. But do you know what the title of my sermon is on March the 10th, that I might have to use this Sunday or on the 3rd, if somebody gets it. Why did this happen to me? That's the name of the sermon. So that may come down on me uh, before it's over with. So Ephesians 4, 21 through 24, love this text. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new by the, by, it says, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. One of the negatives that has, Satan has sold through the generations to new believers is once that you get saved, you're born again, then all of a sudden, overnight, we're just totally changed. We want things fast. If you want fast food in the driveway, the most efficient and the quickest is Chick-fil-A. When you get out, if you're on cable, you don't even have to punch in the numbers. You just hit the microphone and said, SEC, Judge Judy, whatever you want, and it comes up instantly on the screen. You need directions, tell your phone where you need to go, and you get instant maps. 
Well, you can watch late night TV and they said, we're going to teach a financial course over the next two hours. And after you've watched that, you're supposed to be a financial expert. That's the kind of society in which we live. But let me ask you a question. You don't have to raise your hand. How many of you sitting on your hands after you got saved, maybe the next day, the next week, the next two weeks, gave in to the same temptation, to the same sin that had been plaguing your life before you got saved. And then when that happens, we, been to, we begin to doubt our salvation because we're sitting here thinking, if we got saved and we put on this new nature, but that old nature's still there until we go to heaven, they're wrestling between the two. But we don't know that when we first got saved, we think, well, maybe... I didn't get born again after all. We get saved, the sanctification process begins. I want you to write this down. First thing is, when we get saved, we see that God's system is implemented. In Romans 12, verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will he is good, pleasing, and perfect will. What does that word transform means? It means to be changed. He says, by the renewing of your mind. If your mind is renewed, your heart will be renewed, and so will your actions and your life. So in sanctification, we're to grow in grace and in Christ's likeness, but it is not going to happen instantly. I remember my first bicycle was a 20-inch red Huffy with training wheels. We had a sandy backyard, and that's where I rode it. But I also remember that when I'd ride that thing with training wheels, Mom and Dad had trees and bushes all along our little path back there. And they were on the left side, and we went away from the house. And sometimes my weight would get left on the left side and the training wheels over here and I see a tree coming up my turn to the right but what happens when you lean into the left on a training wheel and you turn right you crash into the tree on the left then one day dad decided you're old enough to ride a bicycle without training wheels and he took the training wheels off and I can't tell you how many times I fell off that bike I crashed into trees and got up and started riding again it takes time, the sanctification process. Well, how does God change us? First of all, he presents to us a challenge. God allows some difficulty to come into our life. It may be something that just bothers us. It's something that continues to be wrong in our life. And we know something is incorrect. And we know something is, is kind of uneven. It's kind of like the way the mother eagle raises her young. Understand when an eagle makes their nest, they get some straw and some pretty stout materials. But they also, in the base, they put some briars. That's not ice cream. That's things that stick you. And then as they continue to make that big nest, then they put softer materials that they gather there to lay the eggs and then to incubate them and then hatch them. But when it's time for the little eaglets to fly, the mom starts taking out the feathers and the cushion until finally 
there's thorns and briars sticking into those little eaglets and that, that mother eagle will get there and flap her wings on top of them and, and make them more miserable until they decide, we got to get out of here. And they go over the edge and when they do and they're free falling, flapping their wings, nothing happened. The mother eagle will come down underneath and catch the eaglet on the top of her wing and take that eaglet safely back to the nest. Well, I want you to know sometimes God allows some things to stir up our nest. And when we first get saved and we find ourselves falling prey to the same temptations and we've got a lack of peace and a lack of joy, we finally decide something needs to be changed. And God has allowed that difficulty. The second thing I want you to write down is it presents a crisis. We become uncomfortable with where we are. If this is what salvation is all about, my life ought to be lived in a more of a Christ-like manner. And you're like the little birds that are out of the nest. And God brings the focus in our life to bear on the things in our life that need changing the most. So he allows a crisis in our life, and he's almost shouting at us. And the Lord is kind of saying, you fall and pray to this temptation over here. You can't leave that on the back burner any longer because I've made you uncomfortable. How'd you be uncomfortable? I've allowed a crisis to come. And then the next thing he does is he presents us a choice because choice happens when you come to the point you say, I'm going to do something about this and I can't handle it myself. I'm going to have to recognize God's power to change me and deliver me from temptation. I remember when Delaney and I years ago went on a youth rafting trip, and I won't do that again. And we went over Bull Sluice. Some of you know what Bull Sluice is? They filmed a horrible movie down that river, and they took us to the side in our raft, and the guides looked at us and said, listen, three people have died in these rapids right over here. And they said, listen, we're not responsible for what happens. You can take your raft along the bank and go around Bull Sluice and get in and go on down the river, or you can go through. Well, we were young and adventuresome. And here's what they told us. If you get in those rapids, there's things called hydraulics. And they said, what happens if your raft turns over in Bull Sluice, you'll be thrown out and the rapids will not turn you loose. The hydraulics. They said, here's what you do. You ball up in a fetal position and you just pray. Then they'll spit you out because we can't even come in and rescue you. Isn't that what they said, Delane? That's exactly what they said. Delane can swim. I can't swim. I can just dog paddle. Don't matter whether you know how to swim or not. I don't know why we did. We got in the raft with our partners and got in there and we're here today. God answered our prayers. But ours, I didn't get thrown out till we got through the hydraulics and out to the other end. And then the river, the rapids were so strong, it just threw me like a slingshot. And I just grabbed one of our youth that played football in the defensive line and grabbed him and pushed him down the river so I could use him as a springboard to get over to the bank. And if he'd have died, that's what I would have told his mother. Well, 
what, what happens is he said, the, the guys say, this, this is just left up to the hydraulics. That is a helpless feeling. It's stupid to go over bull sluice. Now, if you've been over bull sluice, I didn't call you stupid. I said, it is stupid. And you're a he or a she. But listen, that's the way it is. God presents us a choice. You're either going to get in that danger and that temptation or you're not. But in order to stay out of it, you're going to have to depend on God's power. Just write down 2 Corinthians 10.3. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons in spiritual warfare are different from the weapons of war out here in the world. And the only way strongholds can be defeated in our life is by us depending on the power of God. So here we are, we're at this stage in our life, we begin a journey. And you begin to move on in your life. And you choose this day whom you'll serve. And God has brought you to the point of choice. Remember what Joshua said. He said, choose this day whom you will serve. And that's what we have to do. God convicts us. It's time to act. But we know we can't change our lives on our own. And we cannot resist temptation in our own power. So he brings you through the crisis. He brings you to the choice. And you're going to make a choice. Either depend on him. Are you going to depend on yourself? And if you are, you're going to be in depression and defeat. And you're going to say this Jesus business just don't work. So he's wanting to take you to another level. Now notice the next thing. When, when we go through this process we, and then we get to the point where we're trusting the power of God, then God is going to give us spiritual sight. Have you ever wondered why God changed the names of Bible characters? And, you know, I, I had to take an Old Testament survey, and I did enough to pass it. But, you know, Abram's name was changed to what? Abraham. And I always wondered, well, why did he do that? I mean, Abram was easier to spell in the Hebrew than Abraham. Well, Abram means living without the Spirit. But you put the ham on it, and the ham means what? The spirit indwells. So when he gave him Abraham, what happened? The Holy Spirit began to be upon Abraham's life. Think about Saul. Now, you know what? I think Saul thought he was hot stuff. He knew the law, he was a Roman. He could command men. He could persecute Christians. He felt self-sufficient. He didn't need anybody or anything. But then the Damascus Road experience came. And God changed this old boy from Saul. He's at the feet of Jesus. And he changed his name to Paul. God did a work in the identity showing him that if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. And led Paul to say, I can do all things through whom? Christ 
who strengthens me. That's discernment. God begins to give us spiritual sight in the sanctification process. And some of us are that stage where we commit ourselves so that God will change us. He gives us a new perspective. And he also lets us examine ourselves through the leadership of the Spirit with the Word. You know, it's one thing to know the Word and know things intellectually. It's another thing to know things spiritually and experientially. And so we get all excited about these things the Lord's showing us because we get a new discernment as we're going through these stages. You can go to a seminar on positive thinking, and you can buy the books, and you can take all the notes that you want to. And when you go home from that weekend seminar, you put those books on the shelf, and you put your notes in one of those books and say, man, I have maxed out the power of positive thinking. You just lied to yourself. And I'm not promoting positive thinking. We ought to be positive and encourage people. But I want you to know, all in the world that was was something that you absorbed intellectually. It wasn't anything that was spiritual or experiential. Well, that person isn't changed because there's a difference in discernment knowing what we need to do and what we actually do. James chapter 2, verse 17, in the same way, Faith by itself, it, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. You have to put what you know into practice. Some people say, well, I know what repentance is. Repentance means to change. Yeah, it means to do a 180. But think about this. Some people think repentance is being sorry for your sin. That's not what repentance is. It might bring some sorrow, but it's a change in your action. You're following Jesus as Lord of your life, and you're following the principles in Scripture. So it's taking the initiative and then submitting to let the Lord change your life. The next thing I want you to write down is we've got to be committed to continue to change. Committed to continue to change. Just write down the word diligence. Uh, the devil comes to you, and, and here's one he lays on you after you come to Christ and after you recognize you need to change, and, and all of a sudden, you get frustrated. Why do we get frustrated? You ever thought about that? If you've kind of aced something over here, kind of maxed something out, you're feeling kind of waka-waka, and you kind of like that, you know what I'm talking about? It can be crocheting, it can be knitting, it can be golf, it can be fishing or whatever. But over here, you just kind of have a bad day where you've once had success. So in the sanctification process, you begin to have some discernment, spiritual sight, and, and you can see the Word and the Holy Spirit's letting you know that you're becoming more Christ-like, and then all of a sudden, hmm. You fall into that same old temptation again. You wouldn't experience frustration if you not had some degree of success. Does that make sense to you? I hope it does. And so, so then, then, bam, Satan sends that old problem and that old temptation to you, and you bit like a hungry bass 
on a spring day. As long as we're in these fleshly bodies, we will never arrive. We'll never get to the place where we don't need God because after you begin to change, sometimes we become self-sufficient. You know what's hard to do as a pastor? There, there are people always that don't like you. There's some people that love you to death, and there's some people that hate your guts. And you know the problem is sometimes you, you, that gets personal. Now, if you want to lose, we want to lose your mind, you just dwell on that for a little while. And anybody in public life that gets up to speak, if you're speaking to 100 people, there's 100 different opinions out there of, of you and what you say and what you got on, whether they believe what you believe. And, and so finally that gets real personal, but what you got to do is this. You've got to, you got to do what God's called you to do, deliver the message he called you to deliver, and don't see everybody that opposes you as your enemy. Some of that is satanic if you're solid with the Word of God. Does that make sense to you? I'm not saying everybody that doesn't like you, they're satanic. That's not what I'm saying. But if you preach the truth, there are going to be some people that do not like you. And so you got to decide, if I'm in the sanctification process, do I want to sugarcoat everything or do I want to please God? And I've got to an answer to God. Somebody comes to church and makes a decision. And they come a Sunday or two after they've been saved. And then we don't ever see them again. I was down at First Baptist Jacksonville at a pastor's conference one time. And I was in a classroom there with one of my pastor friends. And they were telling us what they did to disciple new Christians. And I mean, they're just hundreds of people getting saved every two or three months. And so I finally raised my hand, and I said, I got a question, and I wasn't being facetious or trying to be a smart aleck, but I said, what is your retention rate of your new believers after you go through all this disciple plan after they get saved? You know what they said? 50%. We lose half of all of our new converts. In my church, where we had population 2,400, we didn't go through all that strenuous discipleship. You know how many new converts we lost? 50%. And do you know why that happens? People get saved. We tell them they got a new nature, and they do. They're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. They go out here, and all of a sudden, they fall into that same sin they were in before they got saved. They don't understand that, and they say this Jesus stuff it's not making any difference in my life, and you don't ever see them in your church again. I want you to know that is Satan working in that person's life to discourage them. The next thing I want you to see here quickly is our surrender. Change comes only as we re rely on God's power. But the other thing I want you to write down is we got to depend on God's process. 2 Timothy 3.14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. 
Continue in what you have learned. So what do we need to do? We need to receive God's precepts. Second Timothy 3, 15 and 16. How from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scriptures God breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Have to continue to listen to God. Got to continue to study His Word. Receive the precepts of God until they become a part of your life. And the way you do that is expose yourself as much to the truths of the Word of God. That means your Bible study class. That means your quiet time. That means the preaching of the Word of God. That means what you hear on television, what you download, the sound doctrine. Receive God's precepts, then remember God's promises. In Isaiah 43, 2, listen to this. When you pass through the waters, bull sluice, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you'll not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. So he's telling us that problems and difficulties and falling prey to these temptations, it's like water that's over our head and the rapids are so great, we can't swim out on our own. He says we got to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. But remember, it is a process, and we will never arrive to all we ought to be on this side of heaven. Be careful about judging other people. Because they're going through the same journey that we are. And they get discouraged, and they drop out. Because they think, you know, this sanctification process is just not working in me. So you see, in all these steps, God is with us every step of the way. Psalm 37, 5 and 6, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He'll do this. He'll make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. He wants to show us what we we can do when we can't. It's what He can do through us. And last of all, I want to talk to you here about Galatians 6 verse 9 about the diligence. He said, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Why do people sideline the process of change. It's because they give up too soon. They haven't experienced the victories that God wants to give you. Just when God was about to bless and they were about to come through a trial, they'd give up, quit praying, give up on their marriage, give up on their job, give up on a friendship, give up on their kids, you can't overcome a bad habit, procrastination, and all these things are there that are negative that gives them the idea that they can't change. And you have not only to request God's power, but you've got to remain in the process and keep on keeping on when it looks like there's not going to be a harvest. I like what Philippians 1.6 says, being confident of this. Listen to this. He, not us, not me, not you. He who, what, began a good work in you will do what? Carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. 
you're going to be like Jesus. 100%. I'm going to be like Jesus. 100%. When? When he takes us home. But not until then. God's not finished with us. So don't give up. Don't give up on the problem. Don't give up on the temptation, the difficulty. You've got to stay in the battle, and you've got to let God use you so that the victory is ours through the Lord Jesus Christ. Can't believe what COVID did to Christianity in America. Time when we should have all been on our knees. It's the time we should experience revival in this nation, evangelistic and evangelical. And what did it do? Where did COVID win? When we were at lunch with Jerry Vines and some others, Delane and I were sitting next to Alan. Alan was one of the selling his books. He was the one that drives him on the weekends. Alan was in law enforcement for years. Raised on a dairy farm in Asheville, North Carolina. Got up at 3.15 in the morning to milk cows. Milked 150 head every morning and every afternoon. And when he got in college, he got a school bus route. And he said, got up at 3.15 in the morning. I was in charge of getting the milkers ready. He said, then I drove my school bus route, and I was in class at 8.15. And he said, I would get out. And he said, uh, run my bus route. What time do the cows come to the barn in the afternoon to be milked? Between 4 and 4.30, where I'm from. Lee's cows were always late. But anyway, he said, I was out there doing that. And he said, I majored in criminology. And so he said, went on through life. He's married. He now has an 18-year-old girl. But he said, through the years, he said, I, I, I felt led to start helping with youth ministry. He went to Fruitlands College. In North Carolina, that's where Charles Stanley went to school. He said, I didn't quite finish there. I started being a youth minister. And he said, I went to one church, went to another church. Then he got called to Biltmore Baptist Church in Asheville, North Carolina. You know how many were in his youth group? 400. I said, are you kidding? I hope you had two or three assistants. He said, and somehow he was doing, he got called from there. And he got back in security and was doing security for First Baptist Woodstock. And then Will Graham, Billy Graham's grandson, who has a huge worldwide ministry, called him and asked him if he'd do security for Will Graham Ministries. So he said, I went back into security. He said, then one day I got a call. They were having a board meeting and said, Will, will you come and be the administrator for our worldwide ministry? He said, I don't have any clue how you do that and that's what he's doing now and he was sitting there talking to us and he said here's the latest statistics 35 percent of people who were faithful active church attenders and worshipers like you have totally quit church in the united states he said you remember how People said, well, we're going to watch online. We're going to watch online. People, and we got lots of them in our church that decided that we're going to watch online. We have a Vimeo account back there, and it matches what Alan told us that day. 
We're down to the single digits watching online that used to be faithful and active every Sunday or every other Sunday. They're not even bothering to watch church online. How do you think the sanctification process is going for these people? How hard is, is it for us that are in fellowship with the church and have our quiet time and take soul winning and the Word of God and the Holy Spirit seriously? So listen very careful. That sanctification process, we got to depend on the power of God because we can't overcome the temptation in the flesh. We, we, you know, I pray sometimes in the morning, God, please use my mouth today to witness to somebody or to be an encouragement to somebody. And I'm on the way to work and somebody pulls out in front of me and almost wrecks me. And I say, you idiot. What in the world are you doing? Well, what happened to me? That's the flesh. The Bible says something about calling people idiots and fools. Now, God can call them a fool. A fool has said in his heart, there is no God. <laughs> you atheist, God says you fool. The other thing we've got to realize this is a process. God doesn't zap us when we get born again and all of a sudden. We can overcome all temptation, and we can live like Christ. And the third thing you got to remember, that's the process. you got to remember we got to live according to God's plan. Sanctification process, difficult, oh yeah. Our job is to be submissive. So here's what we think about tonight. Change. How fast? Well, I got news for you. That change is not going to be over till the rapture or Jesus calls our name through our appointment with death. Don't get discouraged. Lord, thank you for uh, meeting with us tonight. <laughs> kind of a difficult subject, but it's one that's gone through every one of our minds as we try to live a life that's pleasing unto you. Help us not to get discouraged and not get frustrated. Help us to live spirit-filled, spirit-empowered lives so people can see the difference Jesus makes in us. Thank you for those who are faithful to come to this Bible study. On Wednesday nights, bless them for having come. Keep them safe as they make their way back home. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Good night.